Hello there. I've been looking forward to this. This is where the fun begins. Take a seat. Hey there, guys, and welcome back to the Jedi Jargon Podcast, Episode 5. We are your newest source for in-depth discussion, news, and analysis of all things Star Wars. We're a podcast by Star Wars fans for Star Wars fans. My name is Jedi Master OB, and I first experienced the franchise through LEGO Star Wars. And this right here is Jedi Master Jeff, the boy who faced Darth Maul at Disney World and lived to tell the tale. Jeff, how you doing? I'm hanging in there, man. Dude. I'm hanging in there through everything that's going on in the big scary old world out there. I'm hanging in there. Yeah. How about you? Dude, I'm getting by. I am re-watching old Star Wars movies, you know, re-watching the Clone Wars, getting into some really great comics recently. Um, trying to maintain some semblance of sanity. Yeah, and I, I think reading is perfect for that. Uh, reading has been my friend. I know it's been your friend through this process. Um, when you're at home, when you have nothing really, you, you feel like you have nothing to do. You feel like you're bored and losing your mind. Just get your nose into a book or a comic book. Honestly, it, it may save you. Um, I think that this crisis is showing us that we really don't have any excuse to not do those things we're putting off. I actually saw a tweet. Uh, it it might have been yesterday. It might have been last week. Time is irrelevant. Um, but I saw a tweet recently that said, um, this crisis shows us that not having enough time was never the real problem as to why we never got anything done. I think that there is some, like, merit to that. I... I there's limits to the day and when you're working and traveling to and from work or school depending on your place in life it it's all different and in this time you can really take the time for yourself now uh, i'm i'm learning to do that i'm exercising every day i'm taking this opportunity to eat better eat cleaner uh kind of clean up my act a bit and emerge from this quarantine a, a healthier human uh I, for one, am not. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. But yeah, I, I, it's all that self-love and self-care that, you know, people that I would like to call, that I usually call phony. Um, Talk about? about all the time. Right, yeah. right. All those. It's, um, it's true. All those folks on Rise and Grind Twitter. But it's true, though. I, I there, is cre- there is credence to it, and really taking the time to take care of yourself in whatever way that is, whatever way that is right for you. Right. It's important. And I, you have more time than ever now to figure out what it is. Your, your mind needs, your body needs, your, your, you know, your spiritual needs, mm-hmm. uh, can tend to all of those now more yeah. than ever. Right. I, for one have been actually journaling in, in, in a physical sense, uh, recently, uh, right before this crisis really came to fruition. I was at Barnes and Noble um, on one of my, at the time, bi-weekly trips to Barnes & Noble. <laughs> um, right, right, right. And I found this nice leather-bound journal on sale for, I think it was like $3 off of like 8 or something. Um, okay. And I was like, you know, I don't really ever write physically, but maybe if I get this journal, I'll find the excuse for it. And I got home and put it on my shelf and didn't look at it for like a week. And then, you know, we all got told to stay home. You know, Suffolk, our university in Boston, um, moved to online classes for the rest of the semester. So, you know, I got furloughed from work. So I really have nowhere to go. And I saw some tweet. Yeah, I'm on Twitter a lot. I'm a Twitter fiend. Um, <laughs> I saw some tweet for like from like a historian on Twitter 
And he was talking about how, you know, one day the accounts that everyone's going to be looking at uh, are going to be people, like regular people during this time. You know, what are they doing to keep saying, like, what are, what's their routine? Um, so I said, screw it. You know, I'm an average everyday person. So I started with writing my account of, you know, my, my views on what's happening on like an international and national sense, but also the, the daily happenings going on at the OB household. Um, <laughs> and I think right now we're on day, let me, let me pull it up. I got the journal right here. Uh, last night was day 17. So today we're on day 18 of home Give isolation. For day 18. Day <laughs> 18. <laughs> day 18. <laughs> oh, oh, that's where we are, we're at, honestly. And it's funny you mentioned physically writing things. It, it's kind of a dying art and it's terrifying to a certain degree. Um, right. That nowadays we just don't really write stuff anymore. Uh, everything can be, our notes can be typed in class, our our correspondence between one another is all typed through text or email. Writing is dying. It's like physical writing anyways. I try to write things down when I can, but I don't know. It's getting to the point where it's, you can feel, you can feel it becoming less and less necessary. And it's, oh, yeah, my, it's a strange feeling. You know, excuse my, my language, but my handwriting is absolute bantha poodoo. <laughs> you know it hey, really man, watch it hey i know right um no it, it is it is bad it's not it's not got great. younglings listening to this podcast man. come on <laughs> yeah man i um i don't know it's it's keeping me sane it's given me a chance to to reflect on the day because the days just seem to roll by uh and if you're not keeping account of what day it is how long you've been where you are you know by some point i'm going to turn into tom hanks from castaway you know, and we don't, and we don't want that. No, no, you most certainly do not. No, but also besides, besides writing, like I said, I have been, you know, spending this time to, to dig into some Star Wars material. Um, I finished my rewatch of the Clone Wars last week. I know you're still in the midst of yours. Um, what, what yeah, season are you on um, right now? I'm in the midst of season five. Oh, currently. love that. Love that. Season five has some great arcs. Um, the way season four ended was just so, so good. Like the, the, for those of you who actually, let's not even get into the spoilers of it right now. Cause that's not this, that's not what we're here for today. Right. True. Um, one thing I do want to briefly talk about uh, before we get into today's main topic of conversation, uh, I've been reading a lot of comics I'm reading a lot of comics uh right now i'm in the midst of the recently released age of republic um series i bought the hardcover trade book at your father's uh comic book shop that would be comically speaking in reading massachusetts shout out shout out um when they're eventually open again i would encourage everyone in the area to, to please hit them up uh for all of your comic book and um and toy needs um but i've been reading i've been reading been reading that and you know as you know and some of our listeners may know um it's a it's a it's a series of, of one-shot comics about your favorite star wars heroes and villains we got count dooku general grievous jango fett padme anakin um, obi-wan qui-gon even um, but i've also been i also finished probably about a week and a half ago um the star wars galaxy's edge comic series 
Um, and I believe I just you said the other night. Myself, oh, you finished too. it. Yeah. Ooh, I did. Yes. Oh, do you have thoughts? I love the use of all the different characters in the like flashback sequences. Right. I love how they incorporated Hondo Onaka. Uh, right. He is something else. Well. He's become kind of a staple. Yeah, um, I when I first saw him in the Clone Wars, I hated him. Not that I hated his like I didn't like hate his treatment. I just hated him because he was a bad guy. You know? Right. You know, he was yeah, just I, such a scoundrel. Yeah, yeah for me, I, I I'm not gonna lie with you, the first time I saw him was uh waiting in line to get on uh Smuggler's Run in Galaxy's Edge. Oh right, because I you... didn't I didn't really notice him too much in like in my time with uh or maybe i noticed him in rebels when i because i watched rebels before i really dove into clone wars uh i just didn't really maybe i didn't really pay attention too much to hondo but i don't know seeing seeing him in lot i don't know um this is a weird thought i i don't even know what it was I like? I can't it, even tell you the first time I saw him. It's weird. It's one of those weird things. Well, it, like, you you saw him in line for Smuggler's Run. You complete the mission with Hondo, right? He's kind of the the man in the chair walking you through the mission on right. that ride. Right. Minor minor spoilers here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have not ridden yet. <laughs> um, no, I really enjoyed Maybe the. A little bit. I really enjoyed the series too. Um, it was a what was it a five issue, five issue series. Yes, five issues. Um, and it just talks about how, without going into any spoilers, um, you know, how Doc Ondar got some of his antiquities. Um, I don't believe it goes into how the Millennium Falcon ended up at Black Spire Outpost permanently. Um, but the, but the, you know, it, it, the Falcon does show up uh, on Batuu. Uh, we see appearances from Han and Chewie, a lot of other great characters. Um, I love... Yeah, our other comic book. Doctor Afra, we saw Chirrut Imwe, uh, one of the um, guardians of the wills on Jedha. His appearance was so good. Oh, it was great. So brief, but so good. Really, um, and the, and the flashbacks of the Clone Wars too. Those were those were excellent. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, definitely recommend that um, series to anybody. I got the trade book at Barnes and Noble. I know that you got the actual individual. <laughs> issues um i prefer I, I guess i'm kind of a normie um but i prefer the single books with the entire volumes in them um yeah and i i have a bit of both in my collection uh obviously with my father working at a comic book shop it's easy to come across issues individually um and they're fun to collect as well just getting all the different cover variants um you know having them to access whenever you like, whenever you want to take the issue out of the plastic and reread, it's always nice mm-hmm. um, having a sizable collection. But the trade books are good too; they look nicer on the shelf, right? For sure, right, right. And that's a big reason that I um, that I like them. You know, with your with your regular paperback, you know, individual issue, you know, comic books, it's harder to display those. Um, you know, and I'm not much much harder. There's a very difficult art to it actually yeah yeah um i'm not really about it all that much um and plus they, they do feel a little flimsy in my opinion you know and i, and I get it they're yeah. meant to be more more you know more affordable that's why you have to bag them right bag them and board them 
Right, bag and, bag and board. Anyway, let's jump into today's main topic of discussion, um, and that is Dooku Jedi Lost. I've been looking forward to this. What a work, honestly. Yeah. If you folks are, I'm just going to say this now, um, and an obvious spoiler warning from this point forward for Dooku Jedi Lost. Uh, Do we want to get, let's, let's, klaxons. oh, I will, Maybe. I will sound Maybe. the, we'll sound the preemptive spoiler klaxon. Um, okay. Let's give our spoiler free thoughts first. Um, okay. And then we can dig in uh, to some spoilers. So first off, let's just give a blanket, um, <clears throat> just a blanket synopsis. Or not a, not a synopsis, just a blanket um, introduction to what Dooku Jedi Lost is. Um, Dooku Jedi Lost was written by Star Wars author uh, Kevin Scott, and it was originally written as an audiobook, and it was performed by a full cast with you know sound effects and music from the Star Wars films, um, and it was re- and it was released as a um, as a script, a hardcover script probably about, I think it was back in October of this year, October of 19, pardon me. Um, yes. So both you and I, Jeff, we both listened to the Audible um, audiobook. Yes. Listened and, and read along. And yes. read along at the same time. Now, what were your thoughts on that format before anything? Let's just talk about the idea of listening and reading at the same time it's in the in the lens of an audio uh, drama. So first things first, I have a deep affinity for audio drama. Uh, my dad is something of a of a nerd for old time radio. I grew up always listening to the the old episodes of Suspense uh, and other thing in The Shadow and other things like that from the nineteen forties and fifties. So I have a personal affinity. I'm a nerd. I know, but reading along with a reading along with a, a script and hearing the audio right there with it. It's a great experience, honestly. I, because when you listen to something passively, it's very easy to, especially in this day and age where we need visuals, it's very easy to get distracted and you know, jump on your phone while you're listening. But having that book in front, it's a very beautiful book, by the way. Having that with you while you listen along and read along, it was great. I may not be for everybody, but I enjoyed myself throughout. How about you? Yeah, I actually saw this book for the first time uh, probably back in late December, early January, when I was really getting into a lot of these Star Wars novels. Uh, I saw it in bookstores, and the cover art was the first thing that caught me. Um, just seeing Count Dooku and Asajj Ventress on the cover, beautiful, beautiful artwork. Uh, you know, caught my eye, and I picked it up, and I started flipping through the pages. And I was really initially disappointed because I saw that it was a script, um, and I'm and I'm you know I'm, I'm thumbing through it in the in the bookstore, looking at it, saying how am I supposed to read this and really get into it, you know? Because I've read scripts before, you know. I'm a you know a washed up high school actor, um, so I've, I've I've you know I've seen, we both are, right? So I, I know my way around a script, um, but just to get into the story, you know, in the way that you would traditionally get into it with a novel, um, and I was nervous about that. But then, you know, it's you and I, do, it is, sure. it is hard to do. Um, but you and I, we agreed that we're going to read the book and we're going to listen to the audible book as well at the same time. Now I was also a little apprehensive with that as well, because a lot of times I've listened to audiobooks before. Um, the narrations can be either hit or miss, I think. Um, and when you have a book that's a miss, it's a big miss. Uh, the, the, the narrator 
can be a bit distracting from the story, I think. Yes. Uh, Especially noticed, with an action-driven book like Star Wars. I noticed that when I was listening along with the audiobook for Resistance Reborn. Really? I noticed that the narrator was excellent. And a lot of for a lot of the characters, he had really good spot-on impressions. Like, for he had a perfect Oscar Isaac. So, for a lot of Poe's speeches... I was into it. It was excellent. But when he did his Leia and his Ray, oh man. You kind of uh, just got to fill in the blanks it, there. Yeah, you fill in the blanks, but it's just, it's, it's very meme It's very, it's kind of silly uh, listening to some yeah. guy do like a Carrie Fisher, you know. But were you still able to, to picture the scenes in your mind's eye? Oh yeah. 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 Cause I, that I'm one's, it was a bad reading. Cause that one's up next for me uh, after I finish The Last Jedi. <laughs> Um, right. but, but anyway, so I was really nervous about that when I was about to start this book. Um, but I started listening to it on the way home from school one day, um, on the, on the train and I was encapsulated just with the quality, the production value of the audiobook. It just, it just inspired me so much to just go out and get that physical copy as fast as I could and just dig into it. Um, it was completely immersive the majority of the voices, the voiceover, the, the, or the, the, the voice work, pardon me, um, were spot on. You know, from the characters that we know from existing Star Wars media, you know, movies, TV shows, what have you, they're great. Um, so I was, I, I bought in, 100%. I bought in, I bought in. Um, yeah. So, go ahead. Uh, yeah, just in regards to the <clears throat> audio drama, the production value was just through the roof. The quality of the actors that they were able to uh, get together for this, just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I can't recommend it enough to any of our listeners who may be tuning in. If you just need something to, a good nugget of Star Wars content, it's just begging to be listened to for you right there on Audible. Right. Um, You know, my spoiler-free synopsis you know of it um in this book in this audio drama in this story this experience really uh we get to see dooku uh, go from lowly jedi initiate you know all the way to the count dooku you know the villain the the mustache twirling villain that we know and love him as in the star wars films Um, and we see a whole host of characters along the way you know we're introduced to to Sifo-Dyas, to his master. Uh, we see Yoda. Um, we see Ventress, you know, Ventress's old Jedi master. So many great, rich characters, um, you know, new and old that we're introduced to in this book. Um, and it really makes me excited to go back and to rewatch episodes two and three and to rewatch those Dooku stories in the Clone Wars. Just having this deeper understanding for this character. Uh, and, and Because... Yeah, no, go ahead, finish your point. I was going to say, the, the last thing was a bit of a meme, but I probably should have known this before, but Dooku is his first name. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's going to come as news to a lot of our listeners, man. It's it's a weird thing. I was kind of... Do you remember I texted you about that at first? I, I did, like, so yeah. That's his first... I, that might have been the moment where you pieced it together when I texted you. I was like, is that his first name? 
what is his last name? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I found out that his name is Dooku. It's Dooku of Sereno. Yep. He, you know, he hails from House Sereno. Yes. So since he's a royal, he, he gets the of between his first and last name. Right. You know? Um, yeah, I, I think uh, Dooku, it does a great job of really illustrating where this man came from in terms of his motivations. Because if you've watched the films and you you've seen Dooku, Christopher Lee gave a phenomenal performance as Dooku, but his motivations aren't clear. He's presented as sort of a two dimensional figure that is a figurehead for the separatist movement, a Sith Lord, very powerful. Don't get me wrong, but why exactly he arrives at that point to become a Sith to leave the Jedi order. We know that he was a former Jedi. Uh, he even mentions in Attack of the Clones when he sees Obi-Wan again how it's a shame that Qui-Gon couldn't be there. Right, and when he faces Yoda, too. Yes. You know, my old, the my face old master. Off, the face-off between the two of them, I can't wait to rewatch episode two to see that scene again, right? After it's going to have so much more weight. And, yeah, after learning their dynamic as master and apprentice because they had a really complicated relationship. And I think you might want to sound the klaxons now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, clones and clankers, we are going to sound the spoiler klaxon. Consider yourself forewarned. All right, guys, consider yourselves forewarned. We might be getting into spoiler territory here. Um, what, what about this book is your primary, if someone asks you, why should I read Dooku? What is your answer? If you want to learn more about the Jedi order, the daily life of a Jedi initiate, Padawan, knight and master, and the dynamic between the Jedi, how someone like Dooku may have disagreed with their their dogma because when you're a jedi you are really a, a priest a member of a religion it's not just a, a warrior monk a title no uh, you are a warrior monk yes but you're tied to that they took dooku from his not really a spoiler but basically from birth and they did that with most Force-sensitive children. So to see that dynamic in this book play out, it's fascinating. It enhances the movies, really, when you see the Jedi Order and the prequels. And just in terms of Dooku individually as a character, you will learn why he is the way that he is, why he's uh, such a figurehead for the Separatist movement, and why it is he turned away from the Jedi Order. So, if you're curious about Dooku as a character, and you want to enrich the the movies even further, or if you just want something very immersive and well, uh, if you want a well crafted piece of literature, in addition to an immersive, well written audio drama to go along with it. Because it's not really, it's not at all an audiobook. It is a full drama 
that you can listen to along with it. Dooku's your book. So we did sound the spoiler clacks, and you guys have been forewarned. We are going into spoiler territory for Dooku Jedi Lost. Um, so just to go over some some little plot points, you know, this story takes place over a number of years, and it goes back and forth. It jumps between you know time and space between Asajj Ventress, Dooku's Sith assassin, and uh, who's narrating our story, and Dooku himself. So Sorry. the story goes back and forth between Asajj Ventress, our narrator, and Dooku. Um, it takes place at the castle on Sereno. You know, we go back in time all the way to when Dooku was a Jedi initiate before he met his sister Jenza. And it kind of goes forward in time and it's told through not a series of flashbacks. It, actually, the way they that Kevin Scott presents this is really interesting. It's an interesting plot device that it's told through hollows and journal entries, Dooku's story. Right, because as we move along... As you described, we're we're following Asajj Ventress in the present, and the life story of Dooku, because that's what this book is, really. It's Dooku's life story. His life is presented through a series of hollow messages uh, that he sent to Jenza, his sister. Because in the first part of the play, we see Dooku and his his group i forget what that yeah it was a his, group of jedi his, his clan um, his clan yeah it's his clan sort of take a jedi field trip if you will to sereno and in their visit he has a weird sort of connection to jenza and by the end of their interactions let's just say uh he learns that they're brother and sister and from that day forward, they they have a deep connection to one another. Uh, he always would confide in her. And those messages, that those correspondences that they would send back and forth, that's how, we, that's how Kevin Scott presents Dooku's life, as you said. It's such an ingenious way of flowing in and out of a flashback, if you will. Right, right. And I think it just provides additional testimony that my apocalypse journal will serve a good purpose one day. <laughs> Someday. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I kid. I kid. But, um, but no, journaling. For yourself, even. Journaling is you important. Know? Right. Um, one thing that I noticed in that initial part of the book was when Dooku and Jenza were in the castle in, I forget what room of, of the castle, but Dooku kind of summoned the Tirataka, the, the big dragon monster that lives, you know, under, um, under the crust of Sereno. Uh, when the, when the whole building fell on top of them and Dooku was using the force to lift it off of him and Jenza, he felt so confident, but then it turned out to be Yoda lifting it. I loved that. I loved that Dooku seemed overconfident. You know, he was cocky. He was arrogant. Very similar to Anakin Skywalker in that sense. But that was kind of a, a recurring theme, you know, Dooku's arrogance and how he thought that he was a better Jedi than he was, you know, much to learn he still had, um, I think, for, for a lot of his journey. Yeah, and skipping forward just a bit, uh, when he is... I, I think it's so interesting um, to consider that the Grand Master of the Jedi Order, none other than Master Yoda 
selected Dooku as his Padawan. I was hoping you'd go there next. Dooku was such a cocky little shit that he had no idea of the, the, the great honor that this was at the time. Because he was so uh, sort of... He was he was kind of obsessed a little bit with Lean Kastana, uh, right. the Jedi Master that sort of showed him the ways of the dark side a little bit. Um, just because she's a curious one, she's a bit of a rebel herself. Uh, right. So she wanted to learn the ways of the dark side, and you can get into her a little bit sure. if you want. Sure. So Lean Kastana. Um, uh, a master of the Jedi Order during Dooku's time as, you know, an initiate, as a Padawan. Early on in the story... Just who, master, who is Master Kasana? Right, right. So early on in the story, uh, Dooku and sifo his good friend, who we later, you know, learn about in Star Wars Episode Two. you know, they're good buddies, and they interact with Master Lean Kostana. And she's a really interesting Jedi in that she has a bit of an obsession or a fascination or a focus on Sith artifacts. And the Sith artifacts are actually held at the Jedi Temple in what's called the Bogan Collection. It's kind of like that part of Harry Potter when Harry and his friends, you know, venture into, I forget what... what, what the, the third floor corridor. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. All of the forbidden items. But these items are held by the Jedi, um, so nobody, no, no Sith acolytes or anybody can get their hands on them. And Master Kostana actually goes out and searches out these artifacts to learn about them um, and to get them out of the hands of anybody who would use them for, for their own uh, reasons. Now, this is interesting because the Jedi at the time aren't even teaching their initiates and their Padawans about the Sith because they've been extinct for a thousand years and they think, oh, they're not a problem. Let's just try to, you know, bury it under the rug. But she says, no, we need to seek this information out and study it, study our potential enemy because they could very well come back. So she shows Dooku the ways, not the ways of the dark side, but she, you know, she gives him a little taste. And Dooku thinks that she's a Sith. So he pulls out his lightsaber and they get into a little bit of a duel. And Dooku, again, is so confident that he's right and he knows what he's talking about. And Master Kostana eventually gets a little scared by Dooku's uh, acumen with a lightsaber. And Yoda shows up and Dooku says, you know, Master Kostana is a Sith Lord. And Yoda laughs. He's like, you idiot. Like, no, she's not. Um, and it was just, it was just funny. It was just funny. So Dooku wanted to train under her, but in another, in another twist, if you want to talk about that, going back to what I was saying earlier, Yoda selects Dooku as his Padawan and everyone is, it's such an honor that all of the other masters, all of the other Jedi, uh, even Saifa Diaz, when he, you know, later on interacts with his good friend, do, uh, do and sigh. Do, 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 do. Do and sigh. Just do hanging out. Just two guys hanging out. But when they're talking later, he just reinforces that with Dooku. Like, you were selected by the Grand Master. It's a great honor, Dooku. He's like, oh, I wanted to train under Master Kostada. You know, but he had no concept of that, I think, really. Right. And that just speaks to his, his overconfidence, right? Right. I... I... I can totally picture this in, like, another setting. Like, let's think, for example, if you're, like, a music student, right? There's probably been, like, a movie made about this. And you get to study under, you know, like a, like a virtuoso, a maestro, and you don't really care. But everyone else is, like, incredibly jealous of you, you know, right. wishing they could have that opportunity. 
Um, but I can also see how there'd be problems for it, and I could see how there were there was a bit of tension between Yoda and Dooku in the sense that Yoda is the Grand Master, so he's not giving up his responsibilities. You know, most Masters, when they take an apprentice, they have to leave the Council. Like, for example, in Master and Apprentice, a little spoiler alert, um, Qui-Gon Jinn is offered a seat on the Jedi Council, and that would entail him having to cease being Obi-Wan's teacher, right? Yeah. But in this instance, Yoda the is trying to do both. Sort of, the rules are bendable. Right. Grand Master of the Jedi Order. Right. 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 And I, th- I just want to talk about really briefly, one particular, uh, scene, or not even really a scene, rather a series of interactions, if you will, between Yoda and Dooku, after he after Yoda selects Dooku as his Padawan. Um, it was early days. Yoda had obviously just selected Dooku. Master Castana selected Sifo Dyas, and Dooku is ready to learn. He's ready to begin his missions under Yoda, uh, really get down to the brass tacks. And he sees all of the other Jedi that were in his clan training hard in the dojos with their masters. And every day, for he would wake up, and he would go to greet Master Yoda in the gardens, and Master Yoda would be meditating. Meditating you know, becoming one with the force, floating as sort of as we saw Ray floating at the beginning of the Rise of Skywalker, deep in thought, deep in meditation, clearly hearing what Dooku was trying to say to him, Dooku every day, uh, for about a month, I think this went on, he would say, Master Yoda, I'm ready to learn, I'm ready to, I'm ready to show you what I've learned, uh, you know, he would demonstrate his light, his lightsaber cadences in front of Yoda, but Yoda wouldn't break meditation. He would just stay there, eyes closed, not even flinching, not even moving. Yoda finally uh, broke when Dooku was humble, and he said, Master, I'm ready to learn what you have to teach me. Everything that I know, it doesn't matter anymore, and I know that now. I'm ready for you to just to teach me something new, something he, the first lesson that Yoda teaches to Dooku is that there is always something new to learn for even the, the most gifted student. I love that. For even the most gifted Jedi, like, like Dooku, that there is something new to learn and that you really kind of just have to shut up and take it in. You know? Dude, I so absolutely love that. that. That was just so good. I, it speaks to Yoda's wisdom. And it, and it spoke to Dooku's evolution, too. Right. And, and it reminded me so much of Anakin Skywalker. A lot of this story mirrors that of Anakin Skywalker. Um, but just that Dooku was overconfident. You know, he wasn't teachable, he wasn't coachable. But in order to be a good student, you have to be coachable, right? And that was Yoda's first lesson. And I thought that was excellent. I really, I really did. Um, one thing that I really enjoyed in this book as well was also the treatment of sifo Now, we were introduced to Jedi Master sifo during the Detective Obi-Wan arc, as I like to call it, during Attack of the Clones Episode 2, when Obi-Wan shows up to the planet Kamino, where the Kam- Kaminoan cloners are um, manufacturing, bro- uh, grooming, if you will, the clone army. 
<laughs> and the and the individual there that's talking to uh, Obi Wan says, "Oh yes, we're doing this because you know si- on on the orders of Jedi Master Sifo Dyas, and we're never we never get to see Sifo Dyas in action in the live action Star Wars films. Um, we see Sadly. his right. We see his ghost. Spoiler alert." in the clone wars in an episode uh it was it was great really really great treatment um not really too big of a moment more like a little passing thing um but that was cool in in and of itself but he got a really excellent treatment in this book i loved the friendship between dooku and saifo dias it it was a little different doing sai doing sai two jedi guys um (laughs) That'd be a great sitcom. Um, also with Hey Maz, the 1950s yeah. sitcom between Han and Maz Kanata. No, but... Coming soon to Disney+. Plus. Right. A lot of the relationships we've seen in Star Wars have been that of, you know, father, son, master, and apprentice, you know, brother and sister. Uh, but this one was just, you know, a relationship between two good pals. And that was, that was cool. I mean, hey, listen, we're, we're two good pals. You know, I, I could I could see a bit of you and bit of you and me in that story a little bit. I completely agree. Barring one because... of us, you know, becoming a Sith Lord and the other losing his mind. Right, right. <laughs> Who would be the Sith Lord? Who would lose their mind? <laughs> well, red red's not my color, so I guess I'm losing my mind. <laughs> hey, man, sounds good. Sounds good. I mean, I did. I already have that red saber from Savi's, so. <laughs> You never know, right? You never know. You never know. It becomes Sith Spit. Ooh. <laughs> Star Wars podcast. But Sifo Dyas. Let's talk about Sifo Dyas for a little bit. Let's let's dive into his character. It's interesting to consider that he, he was a very powerful force user. Right. Every force user is granted different gifts. We see that in with Anakin. He has sort of the gift and curse of premonition. We see that with Sifo Dyas as well. But with Sifo Dyas, the visions that he gets before things happen are paralyzing. They're almost like panic attacks. He's hit with sudden glimpses of pain and suffering to the point where he can't even function. It's just he sees and feels all of it. It makes you wonder a little bit, like if if someone may have been behind the scenes, maybe influencing his mind. Uh, I don't think so. I think he really what did just have that kind of simultaneous gift and curse as Anakin had. Um, but seeing that unfold throughout the play, uh, Kevin Scott used Sifo very well. Uh, he his powers were. Uh, an effective plot device, um, and as well as a a glimpse into what it would be like to have such a power. It's not a, it's not all fun and games, right? Right. I mean, he saw and felt millions of people die, and then they convinced the council to let them go investigate, and then millions of people died. So he had to feel and experience that twice. It's interesting, you know, just the way that they showed his pain and his torment, you know, as he, we saw him react to these terrible things that he was experiencing. I can only imagine what his experience must have been when he had the premonitions of the Clone Wars. 
you know, of, of the great conflict that was to come. That was, it must've been so great that it inspired him to reach out to the Kaminoans and order, you know, the hundred thousand troops with a million more on the way, you know? Um, yeah. And it, it begs the question. A, it, it begs two questions, actually. Did the, did the visions eventually become so much that it was unbearable and he did lose his mind and go off the rails? And B, were these visions, in fact, part of the greater game, uh, the greater thread, if you will, being spun by Palpatine? Right. Uh, he, he, was he the one who uh, was aware of this Jedi's power, Sifo-Dyas, and put these visions in his head mm-hmm. to prompt him to right. go make this clone army. It's an interesting theory, and it might actually be canon. I don't. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should know this. But <laughs> I also loved the. We kind of got a little bit of a squad in this book, a little bit of a trio. I know Star Wars loves its trios. Um, yes. We got the Lean Costana, Sifo-Dyas, and Dooku. A uh, little little arc when they went to that to the mission on I forget the planet. Um, they were looking for for something or someone, but in the midst of it, they get they get kind of taken hostage by these beings that I think they try to like eat them or or somehow somehow kill them, right? And Dooku ends up kind of losing it a little bit. Sifo-Dyas just goes crazy, and Dooku, as you know, as you're flipping through, uh, trying to fact check me, um, Dooku uses Force Lightning for the first time. And he just murks everybody. And afterwards, you know, Dooku's reeling from the fact that he's using the dark side for the first time. And Master Kostana gives him these wraps to wrap around himself. Um, And they're actually called the Balm of the Luminous, I I, I found out. And they help him ward off the dark side. and And they repeat this incantation to help them center themselves. And throughout the story, we we hear Dooku repeating this incantation to help him ward off the dark side that is buried deep within him. Um, and speaking of the dark side, while I'm on that, I noticed that the Tirataka, the the monster that lived underneath Sereno, that Dooku awoke in the beginning of the story and came back towards the climax, that really represented the dark side within Dooku. You know, we see yes. it. In the, we, we see it in the beginning. And Dooku awakens it, and throughout the story we see him using the dark side and trying to push it down more and more and more. Yep. And at the, the end, Taka is the darkness. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then in the end, he embraces the dark side. He that the he helps bring the monster up from the depths. Yep. To, he lets the monster out, and he ends up killing his t- killing his brother Count Ramil, which is a whole a whole different thing. Um, yeah. But also, it also. It represents, I think it might represent the Sith in such a way, because the Tirataka had not been seen for so long that it became the stuff of legends. Mm. Yep. You know? That's um, correct. That's correct. So the planet that Lean, Sifo, and Dooku ventured to was a Susto. Right. Uh, I believe that there was a... There were rumblings of Sith artifacts and what have you on this planet. So they, of course... Master Castano wants to venture there and see what they can find. Uh, the adventurer she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after they 
sort of have that uh, Dooku has that interaction and with the dark side he uses force lightning for the first time yes you mentioned the balm of luminous which is an interesting I want to talk about that for just a minute um, is this like uh, an early hint at Project Luminous could these bandages and linens uh, ancient Jedi linens that she uses here could they be from the Jedi of old? Um, well, I know that Kevin Scott is going to be involved heavily with Project Luminous, um, but yes. from what I read is that they are unrelated. Um, that's what I read. You never know. Um, we'll keep our eyes out for that. Yeah, and the inc- the invocation that they say together is interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll just I have it here. I'll read it. We call upon the three: light, dark. And balance true. One is no greater than the other. Together they unite, restore, center, and renew. We walk into the light, acknowledge the dark, and find balance in ourselves, for the force is strong. So interesting. I I mean, it's, it literally is the father, son, and daughter, but... Really, though? Yeah. When you think about it. Of the Mortis arc. I actually saw... I was reading something about the Colin Trevorrow script for episode nine and they went back to Mortis and I saw that and I got so sad. That would have been so sick to see. Honestly though. And for you folks who are not familiar with the, the Mortis arc, it's a, is it four, three or four episodes in the clone wars? Um, episodes fifth, uh, yeah, 15, 16 and 17. Of season three of Clone Wars. If you haven't watched it, you don't need to watch the whole show in order. Check it out. It sheds a lot of light on the nature of the Force. And we'll probably dig into that arc specifically in a future episode. Oh, hell yeah, bro. But, that's going to be a great episode. You guys should all listen to it. it you know, when, when it comes out, it's not out yet. But. Not out yet. <laughs> um, but yes, the nature of the Force, it's always so what the force is is rarely actually explained in the star wars universe and in the mortis arc and in this invocation of the of the force that lean dooku and sifo use it's it's interesting to consider that no one really has a monopoly on it that's kind of a theme that's been explored more heavily in recent years, I would say, in the Star Wars canon. That it's it's less about the light or the dark, uh, you know, one or the other on their own, but rather finding a balance between the two. Completely, completely. Because who, um, who has the monopoly on the Force? Is it the light side users, the dark side users? Is it the people in between, like what Ahsoka became by the time we saw her in Rebels. Right. Um, no, I think you have a really, really good point. You're really on something there. Um, and I really hope the idea, and I know that a lot of purists don't like the term Grey Jedi, but I hope we see a lot more Grey Jedi in the future and a little more exploration of people that really live in a true balance of the light and dark side, not the balance as in the light side has a monopoly over the dark. Um, 
but but again, just to bring it back to Dooku specifically, right. I love yeah. the way that Dooku is, you know, throughout his story, is exposed to the dark side, uses the dark side, but is able to recenter himself until the end where it all just gets to a boiling point and then he just loses it. Um, you know, there it, it, it was just so well done. Um, I'm just going to my notes here, just some other cool things that I found. Kai Narek. Kai Narek, Asajj Ventress's old Jedi master. So getting back to the present tense here. So back in, the, back in the present tense with our narrator, she is on this mission for Dooku, um, trying to track down Jenza, Dooku's sister. And on the way, she is studying these hollows, reading Dooku's journals, and in her head, she hears the voice of Kai Narek, her old Jedi Master who is deceased at this point. And in the script, it says Kai Narek, parentheses, ghost. So we assume he's a ghost, but our narrator questions whether or not he's actually real. Um, though we, as the reader, as the audience, know that Force ghosts um, are real. But we, don't, we don't know for sure. All... Exactly, and we saw that in Episode Nine, right? That not all air quotes force ghosts and air quotes are necessarily force ghosts right with uh han solo but interestingly enough if this is true and kai Narek was actually a force ghost at this point he would have been the first canonical instance of a first of a force ghost because that preceded qui-gon's death by a number of decades or that's very true his death preceded qui-gon's pardon me um yes right Though this, I believe, takes place after Qui-Gon's death. I don't... I'm not entirely sure when the present is. The present is... It's tough to pin down. It isn't really specified in the text. Uh, I'm sure if we did some serious digging and cross-referencing on Reddit, we could probably find that out along with the help of other Star Wars fans on the internet. But it, from what I can tell, it's most likely in and around the time of like we don't actually see when uh dooku was seduced by the dark side by palpatine we sort of leave off right before that point we just get to the point of as the title of the book would suggest how he was how he left uh, the jedi order right right so we don't know if this is after the phantom menace or maybe c happening concurrently with the events of the phantom menace it's unclear. Uh, it could be maybe a little bit after Attack of the Clones. It, it, it's unclear. Uh, it's definitely before the events of the Clone Wars, though, Right, I would say. Right. We actually do see Kai Narek in the Clone Wars, believe it or not. We see him in a flashback in the episode Night Sisters. Yes, yes, I remember that. Right. I was thinking about that as I was reading and listening. Yeah. Yep, we see him very briefly um, in one of Ventress's flashbacks. Um, so that was really cool. Um, I was a big fan of how later in the book, uh, because obviously these people came into Dooku's life later on, um, Rail Avaros. I was just going to get there. Jin. Hell yeah, brother. Jin. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah, at the end of part four, we're introduced to Qui-Gon and Rail. Um, in mention only, they... they are introduced more in depth in part five of the book. Um, yes. So 
Dooku had it was so funny. I just have to say it was so funny seeing a young Qui-Gon in action and hearing because the the actor of that was performing Qui-Gon's lines did a really good Liam Neeson. Oh, it was a great Irish accent. So it was it was awesome. He, it was it was pretty spot on. So hearing his voice, it's hard to hear that as a young man's voice. Right. Um, <clears throat> it worked. I'm not saying it didn't work, but hearing his voice, uh, you know, Liam Neeson and Qui-Gon Jinn's voice interacting with all these sort of younger Jedi, um, you know, him joking about like, or at the time he was play acting, but saying how excited he was to finally gamble and play Sabacc for the first time. Right. Was, it was quite funny. I oh, that was great. <laughs> and I think it even, it enriched the story more reading master and apprentice before reading this i was a little hesitant to read master and apprentice first but it, it was worked the right move so much it was such the right well. move it was such it was yeah. so much the right move because in master and apprentice we spent so much more time with rail avaros and to see him earlier on now you know if i had read this book first i wouldn't really have cared so much about rail avaros um but but having read that book first it was great um, and also interesting, in Mastered Apprentice, we see a young Obi-Wan, but in this one, we see a young Qui-Gon. And it's kind of a, a the story's kind of, they're a, little para, they're a little parallel to each other, you know, seeing how they both interact with their masters. Um, and I know we, we've heard in, you know, the Star Wars films that Qui-Gon was the apprentice of Dooku, but just to see it in action was so cool. Yeah, because in one of their... It wasn't even a mission. They weren't commissioned by the council to do this, but they watched Dooku's brother Ramil at the the races, right, uh, on Coruscant. Right. And yeah, you know, there's a bit of an incident. Uh, Dooku thinks that someone may have sabotaged Ramil's pod or what have you. They they track down some folks, and uh, Dooku's pissed. Right. He taps into a bit of the dark side. Um, Qui-Gon clearly notices this. Uh, I picked up on this while I was listening and reading along. I don't know if you did. But oh, I did. He was like, bro, he like, was, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. He's like, master, chill. Like, um, so, and, but seriously, though, seeing that after having read Master and Apprentice, because Master and Apprentice has some really juicy flashback sequences that are sort of, told from Qui-Gon's perspective. Uh, a lot of what we see here, it's it's a play, so we're just seeing the actions play out. But seeing from Qui-Gon's perspective, looking up at his master, how Dooku was, and then diving into this exploration of Dooku, it's the way to do it, honestly. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so illuminating. And I thought it was cool that they even mentioned... Uh, was it Dooku? that was talking to rail and he said, you know, rail, weren't you supposed to be on Pigel? You know? And then rail says, well, why don't you come, come with me? It's like, no, 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 I, I have business. And that was the entire plot of master and apprentice, you know, the conflict on Pigel. Um, right. Which, oh, such a great story, by the way, I just can't talk about that one enough. We'll have to save that for a separate episode. Um, master and apprentice, but these books work so well together is my point. Mm -hmm. But you got to read, you got to read master and apprentice first um, for it to really, hit home um 
so one thing that I noticed about Dooku, in terms of his arc, is that over time, his loyalty to his sister and to helping people and to doing what's right gets him in trouble. Yeah, man. His sister is a major pull for him. He is drawn to her, obviously. He wants to continue communicating with her. And for him, the hollow communications that they have that go back and forth, he confides in her all of the details of his exploits. That's how Asajj is learning of all of the all of his adventures and his life. That's how we're learning about his life, through everything that he confided with his sister. And if you know, you know, we all know that the nature of the Jedi is to let go of all connections um, to the world, whether it be family, loved ones. Uh, you're forbidden to take a lover <laughs> and have children, um, as we saw. So he's going against the Jedi Order. He's going behind their back. He's rebelling in a way by continuing to talk to Jenza, and it does get him in trouble, like you said. Later on, we see this unfold. But it's not the kind of trouble that he feels bad for, is it? Because it's his family. He wants to maintain that relationship with his sister, and he disagrees with the Jedi Order. Um, it's a major point of contention between his conscience, his way of life, and that of the Jedi Order. Right. And it's a huge driving point, uh, huge motivation for why he eventually left, right? Oh, right. I mean, he he ultimately, you know, killed his brother and claimed his rightful place as the Count of Sereno. I mean, his people, his planet, his, I mean, to his family to an extent, I mean, his father didn't care for him, and his brother detested him, um, but the idea of, of the House of Sereno, that drove him to leave the Jedi Order, ultimately. I mean, there were these little incidents along the way that, that shook his faith in the Order. You know, them not living, you know, for the Force, them being, you know, soldiers for the Republic. You know, all these different things that we see throughout the story. But in the end, just culminated with Ramil's death. And by the end of the story, his brother had seriously jeopardized the well-being of a lot of, of most of the people of Sereno through his choices as Count. So what he was doing was objectively right. He wanted to clean up his homeworld. He felt a sense of duty to do so. Obviously, as a Jedi Knight, no Jedi could hold a, a political position, right? But he wanted to do what was right. He wanted to stand by his family, his home, and clean it up. It was his birthright, for God's sake. So I, I really can't blame the guy for wanting to leave the Order. Uh, and in his mind, and in his, his world, um, do what was right. And furthermore, furthermore, right, by cleaning up Sereno, he didn't want the help of the Republic at all. Because when the Tirataka emerges from the crust of Sereno, it actually uncovers a quite valuable material, raw material, that was underneath the crust. And 
they all see that. Dooku picks up on the fact that the Republic will want to come to his planet if they send their air quotes assistance to come and help them. He doesn't want their help. He knows that they're just going to gobble up that material and use it for their own gain. And to that point, Dooku, <laughs> Dooku realizes that the Republic hasn't been there to help all along when Sereno was tearing itself apart from the inside. They just want to come help when the conflict is over and they can come take some raw material for their troubles after helping out and selling that and using that for their own gain. He wants no part of that. He wants an independence to run out, run by himself. Right. And one thing that I was surprised by was that I thought when Dooku left the Order, it would be for nefarious reasons. You know, we would see him kind of being outwardly evil. You know, evil! Uh, being outwardly evil. But he wasn't. He did it out He's of no care for his people. End. No, he isn't. I mean, in the present, he most definitely is. Yes. But, no. He... He didn't leave and join the dark side like it. it and we see in other um, Star Wars media, Dooku is shown before everyone knows he is, you know, of the dark side. Now, uh, I was reading a comic today, actually, uh, one of the Age of Republic comics where Dooku is on a mission and this Jedi Knight sees him who was a Padawan when Dooku was still a Jedi Master and doesn't know that Dooku used the dark side. And he's very shocked when he sees Dooku's, you know, crimson lightsaber. Um, I thought that he would leave the Order and immediately become a Sith. I just didn't know that. Um, but also, interestingly enough, in this story, we see Rail Avaros introduce Dooku to Palpatine for the first time. That was... That was something. It, uh, Palpatine wasn't involved really at all in this story. He was just kind of a background character and a, oh my gosh, that's Palpatine right there. Um, it was just kind of a moment, very fleeting. Um, and you hear Palpatine's voice during Dooku's vision on um, Asusta, I believe the planet that we were talking about earlier was called. You hear a lot of, you hear several different characters' voices during that vision. We hear Palpatine in a vision that uh, Dooku has on the planet of Asusto. Uh, Dooku, as you as we mentioned, his heart starts racing and visions fold through his mind. Um, visions that previously we just saw through the voice of Sifo-Dyas. But we are in Dooku's mind in this scene. And he hears voices, voices of clones, battle droids, um, his apprentice that he had not yet met in Qui-Gon Jinn. And he also hears the voice of none other than Sidious. Sidious reaching, it, it's unclear and we don't know if Sidious was in fact reaching out to him using the Force in this vision or if it was a premonition and Dooku merely hearing the future voice of Palpatine. It's unclear, but important nonetheless. Um, that small pull to the dark was uh, much, much more for Dooku. He got a glimpse into the future, and there's no denying that it changed his perspective. 
from that point forward. Oh, no doubt. I mean, by that time, he was he was firmly on his path to becoming, you know, Darth Tyrannus. Of course. And it wasn't a clear path. Because as we said before, by the end of his his life story, if you will, that we see through the eyes of Ventress, he's by no means a Sith. He's just a guy who's had it up to here with the Jedi and the Republic. And he wants to take care of his home planet. Right. 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 And I end, think Yes. And I just think my favorite line in the entire book is when Dooku was talking to Hagi, one of the um, troopers on Sereno, I believe. After killing Ramil. After killing Ramil, and Hagi says, you know, Master Dooku, and he says, not Master, Count. We've been waiting the entire book for him to embrace his fate and to become who he is, right? Who we know him who we know him to be exactly count dooku um and it was just i i I read that and i heard that and i was blown away it was exactly chills everywhere it was excellent just to for the for the culmination of this story um to have him embrace who he was i guess meant to be uh in in count dooku but um, and in the present by the end of the story we learn that the mission to retrieve Jenza that Asajj was sent out uh, for by the Count was not to rescue his sister, which when you're reading and you're going along with the story as we've laid it out for you, you wouldn't think that he would want to do what he did, which is kill Jenza. She was a loose end for him by the time we see him in the present. She kind of reached out to the Jedi Council about some of the stuff he was doing on Sereno. Dude didn't like that, not one bit. And uh, he has Asajj kill Jensa by the very end. And that's just cruel. And but it, it, it's more than cruel. It's it's a it's a full embrace of the dark. By the end, it's kind of like what we see with Kylo Ren when he kills Han Solo by the end of The Force Awakens. Um, It's a very similar embrace of the dark. But it's cruel in the sense that Ventress and we, the audience, are fed these stories about Dooku and Jenza. And we, we you know, both us and Ventress interpret them in the same way. You know, we come to... Uh, have some amount of affection for Jenza, right? So right. in the climax, when Ventress is told to kill Jenza, we're probably just as torn apart as she is, mm-hmm. you know. And in, you know, in her mind, she hears her old master Kyneric telling her to to not, you know, that she can still choose the light. Um, and ultimately, she doesn't. I mean, ultimately, she. She just murks Jenza with, you know, with the stroke of a lightsaber. Without any without any hesitation, really. And interestingly enough, after she does it, we cease to see and she ceases to hear the voice of Kyneric. Because I believe that Kyneric, you know, regardless of whether or not he 
was actually there as a force ghost speaking to her. Her conscience was gone. She lost any semblance of the light after that. You know, she made her choice. Right. And it was final. So. That's Dooku, folks. That's Dooku. I hope that this discussion for you guys um, serves as maybe a companion to your already completed reading. Um, Our non-spoilery discussion may have been enough to urge you to read. Uh, If not, this may actually serve also as a... I hope that this would also potentially serve as a perfect companion to your reading of Dooku. Um, Whichever way you choose to go about experiencing this story. And it could just be through us, through this podcast, in which case I'm honored to (laughs) share the story of Dooku. It was something else, really. Yeah, I had a great time reading it. I hope you did too, Jeff. Definitely one of the best Star Wars pieces of Star Wars literature, pardon me, I've read in, in so long. You know, I'm so excited to go back, as I said, and watch episode two, episode three, and his arcs in the Clone Wars. So, that'll do it for us here on the Jedi Jargon Podcast. Jeff, I will throw it to you to do the outro. And be sure to follow our social media accounts at Jedi Jargon Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. You can hit those bell icons to stay up to date on our latest pod drops, all the latest Star Wars news, everything Jedi Jargon. I think that'll do it for us here today. I'm Jedi Master Jeff. And that guy, that other guy you were hearing, he's Jedi Master OB. And remember, the pod will be with you always. <laughs>